to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fulick. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fulick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to disaster recovery, business continuity, emergency response, emergency management, and anything that can be uh, related to those industries. Of course, if there's any topic you want us to talk about on the show, please feel free. Send me an email. You can do that through the Voice America website. Uh, On the homepage for Preparing for the Unexpected, there is a button that uh, says send the host a a message. And I respond to all items, um, no matter what it is. And uh, we'll see about getting you on the show or finding someone to talk about uh, the subject that you want us to uh, touch, touch on. So... Um, and I also like to say that uh, I'm going to be at the Disaster Recovery Journal Conference in Phoenix in September 23rd to uh, the 26th. And uh, Voice America and myself, we're going to be doing some recording there. So we're going to actually be recording live and uh, hopefully we can interview a lot of the attendees and presenters and uh, get their thoughts and send that uh, out to the uh, internet uh, universe there so you can hear what's going on and uh, here are some of the great topics that are being presented at the DRJ conference. So in saying that, today I would like to talk about um, the considerations before outsourcing your business continuity management program or disaster program or whatever it is, whatever name you call your program. This came about from just having a chat a little while ago with someone at the Continuity and Resilience Today conference where they were thinking about doing that. And uh, between the two of us, we were just kind of coming up with different things that we needed to consider. Now, unfortunately, um, she didn't want to come on the show. So (laughs) I thought, you know what, I'll just do a commentary and I'll talk about it. And um, these are some of the ideas that uh, we came up with and were kept you know, things that people should consider and things that we thought, you know, often get uh, forgotten about and things that actually both of us at some point with various clients and, uh, you know, our employers have come across over the years. So we thought, uh, let's put a list together and I would bring them up here on the show. So without further ado, and these are in no particular order. They're just, um, they just came to come out from what we were talking about. So we'll see uh, how it goes. And hopefully I don't forget any. <laughs> the first one, you kind of lose control over your schedule. So, you know, if you're outsourcing your program to somebody else, you know, a big consulting firm or, you know, uh, uh, any uh, vendor that deals with business continuity, um, you're kind of on their schedule. You know, they, they tend to put their schedule together, you know, which is still good. You still want them to have a schedule when you're going to have a deliverable, when you're going to be presenting us a, a report, you know, when are you going to be doing, you know, something for us. Um, but remember, that means you and all of your employees are now have to make yourself available to their schedule. And if you're able to do that, great. But sometimes you might have something going on within your organization where you can't meet their schedule. You know, they want to meet everybody um, the third week of, you know, July. Well, during that week, you have a golf tournament going on and you have something else happening or you, you're implementing a big program or project, you know. So you have to compromise, you know, and you may have to change the schedule. But remember that. They're, it's their schedule. And that may mean if you can't meet their schedule, what they had... Uh, scheduled to deliver that week may end up moving, you know, by two or three weeks because maybe some of their people are somewhere else. And the next one is the testing and exercising. Make sure that testing is done based on your need, not what someone else wants you to test, you know, or, you know, because sometimes the, these places, especially when you outsource your programs, they're testing based on what they want to see. 
you know, and they might push you too hard right at the beginning so that they can get more sales, right? They can keep you around, keep you as a client customer longer. So, you know, make sure that if you're going to be testing and these, these uh, outside organizations are going to be doing testing with you, that, you know, it's realistic. You know, don't, don't start off with something completely unrealistic and then you find out, you know, that when you get this report, hopefully you do get a report after a test uh, or exercise of some sort, that it doesn't say, oh, you didn't have this, you didn't have that, you didn't do this, you failed on this, you failed on that, or, or however it's worded. But, you know, if you've just started on your program, it's, you know, it's not very mature, you shouldn't be tested on something that, you know, only a very mature program would actually be able to pull off. I've seen that happen a couple of times where people have started right at the top, trying to get the most complex and busiest and impactful um, test right off the bat. And that's just not going to happen. You know, you can't do that. So uh, because you don't have any of the tools, the processes or the knowledge, the skills, um, the plans, the processes in place, you know, and that includes any communication. None of that's in place. So why are you testing? You know, and why are you being judged on that? Next, and this could be a, kind of a, a, an important one, you know, detailed and well-defined requirements. Sometimes, and this will happen with anybody, you'll end up with uh, organizations, you know, vendors that say you need this in, in place, you need that in place, you need to have... XYZ and ABC and, you know, all these other different things in place, but that's not necessarily your needs. You want to make sure that under any circumstance, you go through, you know, some sort of BIA process. It doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, uh, the traditional BIA. You know, if you've listened to the show a few times, I've had some uh, different uh, guests on the show talking about different ways of doing a BIA, but something that at least identifies what you do and how you do it and the dependencies. You know, that those are going to be key. However you do your BIA, and I'm not going to tell you you have to do a traditional, I'm not going to tell you you have to do you know, some new uh, way of doing it, but you definitely want to know exactly what you do, how you do it, who you need to do it with, and what are all the dependencies attached you know, to all of those items, everything that comes in and things that go out of, you know, a department or your organization overall, you know, suppliers, vendors, and all things like that, you know, what you need technology and communications do you need to be able to do it? You know, you don't want to skip that. You don't want your vendors to skip that because what will happen is, as I say, they'll start telling you what you need and it may not be what you need. You know, some of these organizations are out to get more sales. So they may say you need something. And, you know, I don't mean to insult anybody that's out there, you know, because that's not my purpose. I just want to bring all this awareness to everyone. Sometimes what's being presented isn't really what you need. Do you really need a Cadillac when a smaller car will do? You know, do you need a big 18-wheeler truck? when a panel van is the size you need, you know, so, you know, make sure that you're getting the right requirements from your organization based on your organization and not what someone is telling you, because that kind of leads into the next one. You know, requirements are, would end up being vendor focused. You know, they're not fully um, addressing your needs. It's their desire of what you should have, you know, what should be in place. And that's not always what you need. So be very, very cognizant of uh, requirements because as we all know, requirements help build the plan as we move forward. <clears throat> and the next one, I guess this would be number five. Uh, reduce, you know, if we have outsourcing, it kind of reduces uh, the management and employee buy-in because it's kind of, we're, we're thinking that we've shuffled off the responsibility to other people. You know, it's not our program. Somebody else is doing it. 
So often it doesn't get the attention that it deserves. And I don't mean the uh, attention by way of having different people come on site, you know, when they need access to the building, you know, the uh, delivery of invoices, the paying of invoices, you know, and the costs associated with it. I'm talking more along the lines that because someone else is doing it, I don't have to worry about it too much. It'll just happen. You know, they'll make it happen. So there's less, you know, buy-in from management because they're not seeing it as much. And sometimes there's less buy-in from employees because, oh, it's just, uh, you know, the, the contractors, you know, the consultants or whatever the case may be. And it's, they, they're taking care of it. They'll let me know when, when I need to know. You know, but really, you know, your awareness starts early. You know, you want everyone to know what's going on. So you want everyone to be aware from the beginning of what's happening. And that can be lost when it's being managed by an outside source. You know, um, they're, they're not uh, looking at the employee level. I know because I've been there. I've been in this role, actually. That's why I'm kind of saying some of these things. You know, they're only dealing with uh, specific levels within the organization and you really need to deal with everybody. You know, there are things that management are going to know that a detailed user would not know, but there are some details that a, uh, an end user are going to know, you know, the mechanics and um, nuances with processes that management aren't going to know because they're never focused on it. So be, be aware that management and employee uh, awareness could go down you know, it could be non-existent if somebody else is taking over your program. Um, you know, contractors and consultants don't always become, you know, they're not really, uh, sometimes they're not working with a team. It's just themselves, right, that come in. So, you know, they've got all the knowledge. They've got all the, the, uh, the documentation and the notes themselves, and it's not being shared. You know, they, you'll, you might see a final report, but you're not seeing the final, uh, sorry, all the details that go into that report. So when that happens, you know, they've got all that uh, extra knowledge and awareness that's going on, and you're not going to. It also tends to, uh, the next one, uh, reduce training opportunities. Now, if you're, you've got uh, your program um, you know, run by somebody else, they're not going to notice training opportunities until they really get to the end, you know, testing, or they've got some sort of an awareness and training workshop. If you're doing it yourself, and it's within your own, you know, four walls, so to speak, you're able to use, you know, your initial sessions right off the beginning, you know, whether it be a risk analysis or some sort of BIA, or the first chat with, you know, the the upper echelons in your organization, you know, getting buy-in and asking for financial resources, you know, or, and policy input and things like that, that sometimes, you know, those are all potential training opportunities. Training isn't just sitting in a classroom, you know, and, and you know, or, or going through some sort of a um, online uh, awareness tool where you answer a bunch of questions, yes or no, and you... You get a certificate of completion at the end that says, great, now you're all trained. You know, that doesn't happen a lot and it doesn't usually work. It's, you know, that can be used for awareness, of course, but it tends to come at the end. You want awareness and some training to come at the beginning. You want right away, everything is a vehicle to get your message out and get people buying into your message so that they're on board, you know, and they're, they're growing with you. They're learning with you. You know, you know where you need to go what and what you need to help uh, the organization get there, but you've got to bring those people with you. You've got to bring the management and the employees, you know, and everyone that you need uh, assistance from has to be able to come with you. Otherwise, you're going to get to the end and you may have this fancy binder or an app, online application tool populated with all this information. And it's going to come to naught because no one really knows anything about it. And it's like starting all over again. I did all this work and 
you know, we get nothing from it. So you want to make sure that you, uh, you know, try and find ways for training and awareness right from the beginning. You got to get your message out there, you know, and everyone's got to know what, what, what's happening and why you're doing it, who's doing it, when you're doing it, you know, so that the, they start ta having their own conversations on the side uh, about what's going on. But if that doesn't happen, you're going to end up at the end of the road and you're just not, you're going to be starting all over again. You know, I, I went through all this stuff and now I got to get everybody you know, uh, aware of all of this. They need to be aware right from the beginning. You know, this, this is the program that we're going to implement. This is what we're going to do. Here's our timelines. Here's your role in it. You know, and part of that, you know, leads to another point is if you're outsourcing, you lose the policy component because some of what I just said actually would appear in a company policy. Here's our policy on business continuity. Here's at a very high level. Here's our, the roles and responsibilities. This is what executives are supposed to do. This is what it, you know, the, the, the people within the BCM program are supposed to do. Here's what, you know, general employees will do. At a high level, you know, the, the detailed stuff will come out in your plans and processes. But the policy, you know, and the uh, buy-in of that policy will be gone. It won't be there because you've got someone else doing all the work. So you're not going to have it, you know, and that's going to be a key piece for you. So we're going to take our first break. And today uh, we're talking about some of the considerations um, before you outsource your uh, business continuity management program, you know, and, or if you're talking to somebody about outsourcing your program, some of the things you might want to touch base on with your executives or, or management to find out, you know, how are we going to address this? So we'll be right back and this is preparing for the unexpected and we'll be right back. And welcome back to the show. Today we're talking about considerations when you are thinking about outsourcing your business continuity management or disaster programs. And as I mentioned in the first segment, these came about from chatting with someone at the Con Continuity and Resilience Today conference in Toronto just a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I thought, well, let's put a list together and uh, I'll talk about this on the show. So, and some of these uh, are, you know, from my own experiences as well as from uh, the person who I was talking with. Um, as I said, she didn't want to come on, be on the show. Um, she didn't want to, I guess, a little nervous about being on air. So um, I'm speaking and hopefully I remember all her parts uh, uh, properly, and I'm sure I'll hear uh, from her via email if I didn't. <laughs> so, uh, our, the next one uh, we're going to talk about is your access to documentation. You know, when it comes to your your pro your processes and your plans, and you know your findings and reports, and you know email trails and all kinds of things. You want access to that so that you've got traceability um, and, you know, if you find a mistake further down the road, you can trace it back going, ah, here's where we made the mistake. We copied this wrong or um, it was supposed to be the number five and we put the number seven, you know, whatever the case may be. But sometimes all that documentation is not yours. It's housed somewhere else, whether it be on the cloud with the vendor or, you know, at their site, you know, uh, still there have been times where this documentation is not available. And the only thing that becomes available to the uh, client, you know, or myself uh, once was the final product. But I tend to like to see where that all came from. You know, I want to see the history. I want to see all your findings that gave you this report. You know, where's all that historical information that got us here? You know, uh, so sometimes that's something you want to find out right up front. You know, all your documentation is going to be kept on our internal intranet site, uh, SharePoint site, whatever it may be. You know, this is where you're going to keep it. You know, <clears throat> excuse me, here's who's going to have access uh, to it, you know, so that you've got it. You know, and you can create those folders yourself saying this is where you're going to keep this kind of documentation. This is where you're going to keep this kind, you know, so that you have it all. And, you know, if you have audit come 
knocking at your door, then you know that you can go and find that information. You know exactly where it is, what you need, and you can take it from there. So be careful, you know, and ask that question up front. There's nothing wrong with asking these questions up front. You know, they could be, you know, some, a lot of places will turn around and say, well, that's fine. We'll, you know, we'll just give us a place to put it on your own, own site. You know, you know, I know, I know, um, there are some, sometimes you run into, you know, vendors that are more helpful than others, shall we say. So, you know, there's not going to be a problem with that. Just make sure you've got access to it because you never know when you're going to need it. Then ask next, and let's face this, this is going to kind of be an obvious one, I think, the cost. You know, <laughs> uh, I, I remember working for a, a large place uh, consulting firm, and, you know, what gets charged an hour is was absolutely ludicrous. You know, because you're paying for um, not just the, uh, uh, the consultant or the uh, person that comes on site, but, you know, part of that cost goes to you know, their boss and the, the person above them, you know, there's all that, uh, you know, the, you've, especially for some of these consulting firms, you know, they need to get their hourly cost that pays for all of their stuff, right? You know, it's, you've got to keep the company going. So, you know, you may be paying, uh, uh, I'll just pull a number out of the air, $400 an hour, but you sure know that that consultant is not getting $400 an hour. They may be getting $20 an hour. You know, all the rest goes to all the overhead. But, You've got to consider that how, you know, especially when it comes to what I mentioned earlier with the schedule, how long are you willing to pay that? You know, um, do you want to pay, you know, uh, heavy prices, you know, or contracting fees? And if so, you know, you're probably going to have a, have a, a great program because you've got the money to spend. If you don't want to spend, it's going to be trimmed down a little bit, you know, and uh, the schedule is going to be shorter, which may, means you've got to make yourself available. You know, uh, right? It's like project management, you know, uh, cost, schedule, and uh, scope. You know, if one of those uh, changes, you know, has impact on the other two. So always remember that, the triple constraint, they call it. So be aware of that cost. And an extension to that with costs, sometimes the costs that you're being billed are attributed to deliverables. So let's say, you know, at the end of the uh, risk analysis phase, you know, or initiative, then at that point, you're going to get an invoice from the vendor. Well, that's fine. That's that's reliable. You know, the the, the cost, the invoices are based on, um, uh, you know, deliverables and, and the schedule that's put together. At the same time, be aware that, you know, that's all some consultants uh, will care about. Okay, we got the deliverable. It's not the quality of it. We got the deliverable just so they can bill. So make sure you're getting the quality and define what kind of quality you want. Because if your cost, your invoices are attributed to deliverables, you want to make sure those deliverables are exactly what you expect them to be. You know, in the format you want, you know, containing the information you want, you know, and they're the high standard you expect. Otherwise, it's just something small. You know, you may not get what you expect, and yet you're paying a heck of a lot. But because that deliverable is done, you owe that money. So be very aware of that. I've uh, recently uh, come across that in a project, a program, sorry, with a, a friend of mine working for a large finance, financial institution where they had an invoice show up and, um, you know, it was based on deliverable. However, when they looked at the deliverable and started reviewing it, it was not up to snuff yet. In the other hand, they were already holding an, an invoice that was due. So be aware of that, you know, define what those deliverables are going to be and the quality and everything associated with them. Otherwise you could get, and for lack of a better term, and I'm going to use the term that was used by my friend, screwed. So uh, watch out for that. The other part, uh, sorry, the next part is be aware of the maintenance process. If you've outsourced your uh, program uh, to somebody else, 
you know, and I'm, uh, by the way, I want to make it clear. I'm not talking having a, uh, a, a, a third party look after a disaster recovery site for you, you know, an IT uh, recovery site at some of the big, big firms that are out there. You know, you have a high availability cage with full of equipment and different, you know, mainframes and server racks and network cables all over the place. You know, I'm not talking about those kind of people. I'm talking about uh, companies that come in and, you know, they're going to create your program for you. You know, oh, we can maintain it for you as well. You know, all those kind of things, not the IT uh, piece uh, there because, uh, you know, those are kind of hard to, uh, from my experience anyway, uh, mess up a lot. You know, you do one test there, it either works or it doesn't. There is no happy uh, gray area, you know, so it's a little different there. And usually that's just specific, you know, specific pieces and tends to come after some of this other work occurs anyway. But the maintenance process... If you've contracted someone to build your program, um, you've got to remember, you know, they won't be around when the maintenance phase kicks in, or they may not be around when the maintenance phase case kicks in. So how you've got to be aware of how you're going to keep your program up to date. You know, what needs to be identified to keep your program up to date? And more importantly, who is going to keep it up to date? You may not have had the uh, expertise to help develop your program, well, now your contractor, you know, their contract has ended, you know, the, the outsourcing to build your program. So they're not coming back, you know, to maintain it. You didn't have the skills to create that program. So how are you going to have the skills to maintain it? You know, you need to have everybody uh, involved and understand, you know, how is this is going to go on? Because it's supposed to be a living program, right? You You can't just have a program that uh, ends after, let's just say a year. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure building a program and getting it into the, uh, the organization takes longer than a year, but for argument's sake, I'll just use a year. You need to have that go longer. Well, if the outside vendor or consultant is now gone, how are you going to keep it going? And the tricky part for that is not just how you're going to keep it going, but you, did you have anyone work with this consultant to learn what is in the program and how they did it? Because if you can't do that, how are you going to learn all of a sudden to maintain, maintain something you never built to start with and you don't know all the inputs to it? You don't know, um, may not be familiar with all of the outputs, you know, and the other contributing factors to it. So how are you going to be able to maintain this thing? You know, schedule tests, update documentation, you know, audits, you know, test finding reports, gap analysis. You know, you have new uh, acquisitions or new projects that implement new services or uh, products or, you know, changes in technology. How is all that going to get uh, maintained and incorporated back into your program? Do you have the knowledge to be able to do that? Do you have someone who can do that? And how are you going to do it? Is it going to all be at once? Once a year? Hopefully not. That'd be a heck of a lot of uh, workload, you know, on the 12th month, all of a sudden, boom, all this stuff needs to be identified. What did we do over this last year? No, you want to integrate it into your program, right? And that's another uh, part of, uh, uh, leads to a concern, your skill knowledge may have left with that organization. You know, they knew everything about your organization, hopefully, if they did it right. They know what you do, how you do it, you know, all the dependencies, your supply chain, you know, everything involved with your organization. They take all that knowledge. You've only got a findings report or the end product, but all the stuff that got there, all that knowledge is gone. So if you do outsource, you want to make sure you've got someone that shadows them and works with them because you're going to need somebody who can take this on and maintain it and go forward with it and know that, oh, we've got upcoming projects. You know, what if we include disaster recovery, business continuity program into our change management process? You know, when a change record is created, there's a piece, do IT systems need to be updated or does it need to be created? Uh, are there other business processes impacted by this this change? You know, 
so that you can identify business continuity plans and strategies that need to be updated as well. You know, so maintaining them, it's going to be difficult if no one's been involved through that journey and for somebody to just come in with really a, a, a blank knowledge of the, the overall program. What do we do? How do we do it? You know, that's going to be tough. So don't forget that that process, even though that you know, could be a year down the road. It's something you got to consider right up front. This was one that uh, both my colleague and myself said, and I know others did, um, and we both said it almost at the same time. And it's it's more irritating than anything else, and which is probably why I wanted to bring it up. The additional sales pitches. You know, the entire time outside consultants are within your organization, they're looking for additional opportunities to sell you products and services that, you know, may address other needs. You know, I remember sitting in on one session with an insurance company I was working with, and we were talking with the DR vendor about, you know, the technology, a technology test that was coming up, and we were going to do a big test with them and test our failover and recovery and all that of our IT systems. And someone just asked a question about something non-related or started talking about something non-related, kind of an off-the-cuff, off-handed comment, you know, during non-formal talks. And right off the bat, you know, every single person that represented the the uh, the vendor uh, team, oh, we've got people, we'll set up an organization, uh, uh, sorry, a meeting with your organization. This is the person's name. We'll give them your name right off the bat. You, you almost didn't even get a word in edgewise. You know, and we'll talk about that. It's like, no, 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 no. We, we don't want to talk about that. And still, two weeks later, you know, the, the people I worked with got a call. You know, I hear you're looking for this. You know, this is what we've got. Uh, and they're, they're starting to get emails. And right off the bat, it became a real pain in the butt. Let's just make you know say it as it is. It was a real pain in the butt when that was occurring. So just be aware. It, you know, it's more of an irritant. It's not something that'll probably uh, make you decide whether you want to go external or, you know, to have someone else build your program or not. But it certainly is a big pain in the butt when it occurs, <laughs> you know. Um, the next part is external vendors don't always know what you do. You know, they, they'll say, yes, we've worked with pharmaceuticals before or insurance companies before or uh, banks. You know, we've dealt with all these different groups before. So we know what goes on. Well, every organization is different. Yes, there are some things that are, you know, that occur from bank to bank to bank. You know, no matter what, there's something that that is the same in all of them. But it doesn't mean that every single bank operates the exact same way, has the same focus, has the exact same departments and department names. And they may, depending on the products and services they have, different dependencies, you know, internal and external. So it's not always the same. So be very careful if someone says, oh, we know what you do. You know, it's like, no, you don't. You know, the only people that know what they do is you. You know what you do. So when some of these projects, like a risk assessment or a business impact analysis, whichever form that takes, you have to be very clear on identifying what you do. You've got to be very clear, you know, so that they will understand what you do and why you do it. No consult. I never trust any consultant or any uh, vendor that says, yes, we understand all the rules and regulations. We understand all of this. We know how all of this works. No, 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 because that's impossible. No one could know everything. If we all, if we all were like that, we'd all be, you know, floating on cushions, you know, <laughs> and that's not the case. So we've come to our second break. We're talking about some considerations and thoughts you should have if you want to outsource your business continuity program. And we'll be right back with our last segment.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you are interested in real estate in America's largest city or anywhere, be sure to listen for Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Although our focus is on Manhattan and other real estate markets in and around New York City, we'll have plenty of information that will help you successfully buy, sell, and close a transaction no matter where you are in the world. Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco can be heard every Tuesday at 9 a.m. in New York, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts. We'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullick. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. We're talking about some considerations when you're thinking of outsourcing your BCM program. And we've gone through quite a few things. I just have a few... Uh, ideas left. And so um, the next one is sometimes there's a perceived reduction in responsibility. Uh, and by that, we, we, we meant that if you're outsourcing your BCM program, it can be taken by some as though executives don't want to deal with it. They'd rather someone else address it. And I know I mentioned earlier on that sometimes, you know, the training and awareness, you want to be able to do that right up front. And sometimes this can be uh, perceived as though um, they're not taking it seriously. And that's not necessarily the case. You know, just because you have someone else working on your program doesn't always mean that you're not taking it seriously. It could mean that you're taking it seriously and that you want you know, someone with uh, the skills and you've identified the fact that those skills don't exist in your organization today. And the only way to address that is to get somebody to come in and have, hopefully, have one of your own people work with them, you know, to get those skills. But be aware, um, my colleague had come across this where uh, apparently other employees felt that, oh, you know, executives don't care. That's why they're, they're having someone else put it together for them. And that wasn't the case at all. So just be aware of that. Um, that perception can be out there. Um, the next one, and I, I think everyone can relate to this. Sometimes if you're dealing with an external vendor, um, and in this case with business continuity programs and disaster uh, planning programs, 
you're going to be dealing with vendor methodologies, you know, and they will call it, you know, this is best practice. Not necessarily. It's best practice for them, but it may not be best practice globally. You know, their competitor may be using a different practice. And then another competitor will be using a different practice. So uh, be very careful. You'll, you will be using their methodologies. If you are trying to strive towards a specific standard, then you want to make sure that whatever methodology they're using, they're following that standard because that's where you want to go. You know, and that also comes down to, you know, them using their own terminology. At this, the Continuity and Resilience Today conference in Toronto, one of the things that um, my fellow, pa fellow panelist had mentioned um, at the closing of the conference is the terminology. Different places use different terminologies. And that happens when you're using with external vendors. They will use, you know, their own terminology for things when they should be saying disaster planning, you know, or should be saying business continuity. Well, we don't call it that. We call it this, you know, and that only causes more confusion. You know, if one of the things that we're trying to strive for is getting the industry, you know, with the solid terminology, the same meanings so that no matter where you go, you get the same thing. You know, it's like going to McDonald's. I, I've, been to McDonald's all around the world. And you know what? A Big Mac tastes the same no matter where I go. So, um, you know, it's the same thing with in our industry. We want to have that same uh, distinct unifying voice, you know, and methodology and terminology. But so be very careful that sometimes when you're dealing with these groups, they're going to have their own, you know, and it's designed to show their own quote unquote expertise in the matter, um, which you may not agree with. They, they will use their people their own way, which you may not agree with, which may require your people to do different things, you know, and participate in things they wouldn't normally do. And that can be a good thing, depending on what it is. You know, let's not knock everything. Uh, but you may not agree with other aspects of it. So, um, you know, we don't, they could come across and say, we don't do a risk analysis. We do, um, this process instead that addresses this. And you may be expecting, you know, a specific risk analysis, you know, uh, project being done or, uh, initiative under, being undertaken with a specific deliverable at the end. Find out, you know, find out what it is, you know, and what methodology they're going to use, how they do it. Ask the questions. Don't be afraid to. You know, if you haven't signed an agreement, ask all the questions you want. What's the worst that's going to happen? They're not going to answer. And if they don't answer, well, you won't be signing an agreement with them, right? So don't be afraid to ask the questions. Uh, the next one, uh, yeah, outside of vendor methodologies, is organizational changes don't get captured. You know, a, a lot of times external vendors and contractors don't get notified of major changes uh, within an organization. You know, and those changes have to be incorporated into uh, plans and processes that, uh, you know, you want incorporated into your, uh, your program. And if they're not notified, they could be moving down that road to, you know, making... Um, decisions as they go or looking for decisions based on an older structure. And that's not going to help you because they're going to end up giving a deliverable and you're going to turn around and say, yeah, but we changed such and such. Okay. Why didn't anyone tell us that? You know, you've caused your own problem. And that, in that case, it's not the vendor's fault at all. It really isn't. You know, and I feel for them when they, when they get to that. You know, if you've got a change coming up, a change in personnel, a change in uh, direction, a change in service, uh, products, uh, acquisition, or you've been acquired, you know, you've got to let them know. You know, you have you are paying, and let's let's assume you know a costly price <laughs> for their services. You've got to keep them informed. You know, you've got to notify them when things have changed and what that change means. So, 
you know, and, and that, all, by the way, that also comes into play when uh, you want to maintain this program, right? Change management. You know, if you, as changes occur, you want to be able to incorporate these changes into your program as things happen. Well, just as they do, they're, as they're building the program for you and interviewing people and making documentation and plans, processes, or or if they're using an application, you know, inputting the right data, then it's only fair that they're, you're going to need to know, you know, and communicate changes. I, I know sometimes, uh, and I work for doing some work right now for a, uh, a company, and some of these changes get announced, but if you're a contractor or an external vendor, you're not told about it. You end up hearing about it through the grapevine. And a couple of times we've actually been caught, you know, um, well, why are you doing that? That, that position is no longer there. It's now so-and-so, you know, and this was two weeks later and we're going, um, we weren't told <laughs> how are we supposed to know that? So I've actually experienced that. And I know many listeners out there probably have too. So, um, make sure if you've got external vendors with the, with your program that they're aware of it. You know, keep them in the loop as to what's happening. The next one um, is the uh, privacy and security concerns. You know, depend, and let's face it, that's kind of a big deal right now um, globally. You know, people's uh, information being used um, in ways that it shouldn't be. You know, it's ending up in the hands of companies that don't really need it. You know, and sometimes internally to organizations, uh, people are having access to information they don't need to complete their role. You know, if your, uh, if your job is to scan documentation, why do you need access to, uh, emails, uh, from, you know, clients or customers or something? You know, uh, that may not be the best example, but I think you get the point I'm trying to make. Same thing with organizations. You know, you've got these external vendors coming in. Be careful what you're giving them access to. Do they need access to client files? Probably not. You know, why would they? What do they need to do? So take a look at that. You know, uh, make sure you put processes, plans in place that only gives them access to the things they need to. And it could be they don't need access to any information. All they need access to is a location to house documentation. And that's it. You know, or if you're, you've purchased a, an online application, you know, to do a BIA or, or some other aspect of your continuity plan, okay, they need access to that. You know, they, maybe they're configuring it or, or populating it or whatever the case may be. But they don't need access to other things. Same thing with security, physical security as well. You know, uh, they don't need access to, let's say, the operation center. You know, if they're doing a BIA, well, why do you need to go in there? You don't need to wander around. You know, that part of the building is only for those uh, working in the operations group. You know, and I mean IT operations, of course, you know, with monitoring everything. You know, keep them out of there. They don't need to go there. They don't need to be there. You know, um, I, I do recall a situation uh, many years ago uh, where uh, an external vendor was actually wandering all the way back there uh, in this uh, place where I was working. And suddenly, you know, they were getting all these sales calls about things because they were seeing things they shouldn't see. And um, now they were starting all these extra sales calls and conversations, which really started to piss people off. You know, why, why are you back there? You don't need to be back there. But the person swiped their badge and let them through. So they went through. You know, I could go back there myself. Um, but I hardly ever did because I know I didn't need to. I only went back there if there was a, an incident or something where that BCM needed to be involved with. So be very careful uh, about that stuff. You know, uh, you could find folders of uh, uh, file folders of client information, you know, in a room. They don't need to go in there. You know, they don't need to have access to that kind of stuff. So uh, be careful. You know, and make sure that, uh, just as you would with your staff, making sure that some aspects, uh, you know, you keep your uh, the client's uh, confidential information private, you know, it doesn't get out there, 
making sure that happens, you know, making sure that's all in place. And it has to be in place for external vendors too. Just because you're coming in to do your business continuity management program doesn't mean you suddenly have a clean slate to go wherever you want and do what you want. That's not how it works. You know, that's not how your organization works now. And I doubt that it does. If anyone tries to tell me that it does, um, you don't do it now. So why would you give it to somebody external to your organization? So those are the considerations that uh, we talked about uh, after the CRT conference in Toronto. And as I said, I thought I would, uh, you know, have a commentary about that on the show because I thought it was a topic and I was uh, hoping to uh, actually have my colleague on the show. But as I say, uh, she didn't really want to uh, be heard on the radio, uh, so to speak. So um, I'm doing this myself. Hopefully I've done it justice. And hopefully she's listening and I will probably get an email from her um, saying if I did or not. <laughs> uh, but hopefully I did. Um, again, uh, I, just so uh, you're aware, anybody who's going to be in uh, Phoenix for the DRJ, the Disaster Recovery Journal Conference, I will be there with Voice America. We will be uh, recording live. Um, I'm not sure if it'll be the Monday or the Tuesday. I'm there for the uh, duration of the conference but I'm not sure uh, which day we're going to record live. I still have to uh, determine that. But we'll be there, um, hopefully talking to uh, attendees and getting their perspectives on things and uh, talking to um, the keynote speakers and getting a few minutes of their time uh, to uh, get their message out there and help promote uh, the new thoughts and uh, what they're thinking and uh, things that we can pass on to everyone there. You know, that's uh, listening out in uh, Radio Land. And again, if there's a topic you want to uh, have talked about here, please feel free to send me an email and uh, we'll try and get it on the air. In the meantime, stay prepared, everyone. Thanks for listening. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.